what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halfsies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast. I'm Kate Sullivan. Join me as we meet the world's most fascinating and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is famed restaurateur, Danny Meyer. When you're in the restaurant business, it's almost like being an actor in a play. And I, I, my, my wife is an actress, and people would say, how can you recite the same lines every night? And the answer is because the audience is different every night, and therefore the whole play is different. And in our industry, what's different every night is the audience and the yeah. memories that are being created. Danny Meyer has owned and operated restaurants in New York City for more than three and a half decades. He opened his first restaurant, the Union Square Cafe, in 1985. Since then, he has opened the famed Gramercy Tavern, Tabla, Blue Smoke, and so many others, as well as his mega-successful venture, Shake Shack, a modern twist on a simple burger and fries that exploded onto the scene. It now has outposts in cities all over the country. His commitment to hospitality and excellence in dining has earned him the reputation as one of the industry's gold standards of hospitality. Please enjoy my conversation with Danny Meyer. Thank you for doing this. It is an absolute pleasure to sit down and talk to you today. I have it had so many wonderful memories at your restaurants, whether it's Tabla or Union Square Cafe or Gramercy Tavern or a burger before I gave birth to my third child at Shake Shack. I had to get a Shake Shack Yay, burger. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so um, isn't it special that people have memories associated with what you do? Well, I don't think you could have said anything more apt than that. I think that when you're in the restaurant business, it's almost like being an actor in a play. And I, I, my, my wife is an actress, and people would say, how can you recite the same lines every night? And the answer is because the audience is different every night, and therefore the whole play is different. And in our industry, what's different every night is the audience and yeah. the memories that are being created. Yeah. And we don't often 
get to hear about what happened during those sure. two to three hours that someone was in the restaurant until sometimes many years later and people come back and say, that's where I got engaged. That's where I broke up. That's where I closed <laughs> the biggest deal of my life. Yeah. That's where I signed my book. Restaurants are theater. Yeah. At, at the very best, they are providing this incredible experience, this incredible backdrop, um, and also uh, a chance to really connect with another human. How has COVID been for you personally? And aren't you missing that hospitality? Aren't we all missing it? Well, I can't tell you how good it feels to be sitting across a dinner table with great food on it and a wonderful <laughs> dinner companion on the other side, yeah. which we have not been able to do. I know. It's just, you know, the, the reason that people get into the restaurant business has never been because it's easy. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's always been because however hard it is, it's worth it because of the human connection that you get to have with your own staff, mm. first and foremost, and with your community of regulars and guests. Mm. And if you, take, if you take all that good stuff away and then you actually make the hard stuff even harder, i.e. trying to navigate through a pandemic, yeah. it's been tough. Yeah, I bet it, it has. really has. The restaurant business is tough, and no one knows that better than Danny Meyer. It was 35 years ago, 1985, when he opened his very first restaurant, Union Square Cafe. It has been a quintessential New York City spot for delicious, innovative American fare and stellar hospitality. Here is executive chef Lena Chardulo. What do you think of 35 years in existence of the Union Square Cafe? I mean, it's a huge feat, and it's a huge feat because it's still a relevant restaurant. I think there's, in New York City, there's such a movement to just, like, keep things moving and keep things moving forward. And so the fact that this is a restaurant that has both done that and stayed relevant and stayed a part of the public eye and has such a rich history and has been so much a huge part of restaurants' history, like, between basically being the forefront of utilizing the Union Square Green Market and then being the mother yeast for so many other successful restaurants. I think that's just, it's kind of crazy to be a part of something that's so special. If you had to get to the heart of why you love this hospitality industry and cooking in particular, what would you say? I think most people who get into this, they do it because they like taking care of people. And so we all do it in different ways and carrying a tray of drinks or things like that may not translate to the naked eye as like, oh, you're trying to take care of me, but each one of us is in our own way trying to provide that hug, make someone feel comfortable, make someone feel, whether it's really at home and, and comfortable, which is, I think, what we try to do here, or in other restaurants, maybe it's just really blowing them away or letting them have this huge experience that they couldn't have anywhere else, but everybody gets into it because they're trying to take care of people. If I can't speak with you, if I can't have a conversation, I can send you food, I can make a care package, I can do things like that, and that translates. On the menu today is a burrata and delicata squash salad and a bowl of steaming pasta arrabbiata with a dusting of pecorino cheese. I really like to embrace the right now. So delicata squash is an early fall squash. It has that softer, more tender uh, skin that's actually really yummy to eat. So we roast those, we get them seasoned with a little bit of brown sugar, which brings out the natural sweetness of the vegetable itself and a little bit of chili. Um, that kind of decorates the outside wreath around the burrata. And then we also use Concord grapes, which true Concord grapes, it's like you understand why grape jelly became so important. Wait a minute, that was actual grapes? Because I yeah. thought it was a jelly. No, it's actual grapes that we blister in the oven. 
so oh. it gets seasoned with um, salt, pepper, and olive oil oh, to give wow. a little savory nature to it, and yes. then blistered in a really high temp oven. And then sage, right? Yeah, and fried sage and some toasted pepitas. My parents were not very good cooks, but my aunts were, and my Aunt Betty in particular is a phenomenal cook. She cooked for her family, she cooked for her community, she had a lot of catering and things like that, but when I think of her house, I think of the smell of tomato sauce and pecorino. Mm -hmm. And so when I made that dish for the first time, thinking, oh, we'll just see how it goes, I tasted it and I was like, oh my God, this tastes like Aunt Betty's house. Like, we did it. This is it. <laughs> and so that was kind of the way I explained it to the staff and it's kind of become our inside joke, but it's true and it's, it should transport you. It should be transportative where it really takes you to a place where you feel like you're getting a big hug from whoever that person is in your family that at some point in time cooked for you and made you feel cared for. It's times like this, you really have to remember why you got started. And for you, it started in Missouri, uh, where you grew up. Can you recount your earliest memory around a restaurant for me? Well, I have so many memories of eating in St. Louis. And the funny thing is, as I look back, none of them was a gourmet meal. But it was just this magical connection I had. It could be a place called Chris's, which is still open today. Chris's with a K. K-R-E-I-S, and they remembered at the age of eight or nine or whatever I was that I always had a favorite table right under the cuckoo clock, <laughs> and I always wanted to go there on the night when they had chicken and dumplings, which something tells me was Wednesday night, and that was actually an inspiration when I opened Union Square Cafe 35 years ago that we would have weekly specials where every Monday we would serve something every Tuesday. I thought you were going to say chicken and dumplings. Did you serve that? We still haven't done that. <laughs> we we got to go back should. to that. But you know, I love that and I loved going to all kinds of burger places like any kid would, which ultimately went on to help inspire Shake Shack. Yes. Um, I loved going to um, a place called Schneidhorst's. Uh -huh. St. Louis happens to have a pretty rich German heritage mm -hmm. and Schneidhorst was another you know, burger and milkshake kind of place, mm -hmm. but there was Schneidhorst, the Parkmore, uh, Ted Drew's for frozen custard. Yes, I love Ted Drew's. It just, you know, it was just, it was a really fun place because everybody understood that the real reason you went back to a restaurant was because someone loved you there. Mm. And mm. when I moved to New York all those years later, where the food was decidedly better, much more continental. I didn't think the welcome was as good in New York as it had been when I grew up in St. Louis. And so truly it was trying to connect the hospitality from my youth with the, you know, the culinary excitement that, that New York was really on the cusp of. Oh, that's fascinating. So that was the connective tissue that you felt like you could bring uniquely to the table, so to speak. I think so. And I had also, at that point, done a lot of traveling in the kind of restaurants that I loved, the trattorias in Rome, mm. the bistros in France, some of the bar and grill cafes in San Francisco that were coming up in the 1980s. And what they all had in common was that you were going to really like what was on the plate and in the glass. But it wasn't too fancy and it wasn't about pretense. It was just about people welcoming you. And that's really what I wanted to open with, with Union Square Cafe. It really is never about the food. 
I mean, the food is, I mean, I just had the delicata squash that was so delicious, I can't even tell you. So in this case, it is about the food, but beyond it's that. It's not only about the food is the right. issue. And when we've actually come up with a recipe over all these years, which it's so simple because it only has two ingredients and it's 49 parts, how good is it? Mm -hmm. And 51 parts, how did it make you feel? Wow. And That's so great. it is about the food, but if it were only the food, we'd get a 49 on our test. Right, right. That's a great way to so. put it. So happy anniversary, 35 years of the Union Square Cafe. Wow, what an accomplishment. Pinching myself. Kind of mind-blowing, isn't yep, it? Yep, it is. When you think about those first years, uh, the inspiration for this restaurant, what did you want to uniquely do with this particular restaurant? Yeah, I, I just wanted to create a restaurant that if only it existed would be my favorite restaurant in the world. Mm. And I've loved restaurants forever. You know, whenever I would travel with my girlfriend, who's now my wife of 32 years, mm -hmm. or with friends, they'd get frustrated with me because I was incapable of passing any restaurant without stopping to look at the menu, look in the window, <laughs> imagining what it might be like to dine there. Oh. If you gave me one day, two days on a trip, I would find a way to fit in eight meals That's how I wherever am. I go. <laughs> You're talking to me. That's exactly what I do. And It's it, part of why you travel, is the food. It, it is. Yeah. And, and with all those experiences, all over the world really, I started to develop a sense of the ones that made me feel the best. Mm. And it always, it really always came down to that magical alchemy between how good did it taste and how well did they treat you. Mm. I remember a great quote from James Beard um, many years ago, who was still alive when I opened Union Square Cafe. And people would stop him in the airport or wherever, because he was a big, brown, bald-headed, very recognizable guy with a bow tie. And invariably, the conversation would go, where should we eat? What's your favorite restaurant? And he had this great response, which is, you already know my favorite restaurant. It's the same as yours. And people would go, what are you talking about? He said, it's the one that loves you the most. Mm. That's what I wanted to open with the Union Square Cafe. Mm. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. 
Now back to our conversation. The pursuit of excellence in terms of food, the pursuit of excellence in terms of hospitality. How do you trans, I understand that this is part of who you are and your DNA, but how do you teach that to your staff? How do you convey that in a way that they too feel that and pass that on to the guest? Well, I you think really, that would be hard. It is really hard to teach someone who is not otherwise nice how to be nice, or someone who's not otherwise empathetic how to be empathetic. What we do a really good job of, and I've finally figured this out after all these years, is we attract and hire people who are already wired in a way with the kind of emotional skills that make them people who are happier themselves when they make someone else happy. Mm. And really the only thing we add to identifying and hiring them is to reward them for a part of their job that maybe their last job didn't. Mm -hmm. I think jobs are really good at rewarding you for things they can measure. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to measure humanity. the number. Yeah, humanity. Yeah. How do you do that? Right. But when we see it, we name it, we celebrate it. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, the restaurant business is a hard business. And I think people who love making other people happy and love doing their job really, really well. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, if the delicata squash isn't yummy, right. we could be really nice and you're probably still going to go to another restaurant. Right. We got to do both. Right. So we want people at the top of their game, but who are all doing it in the same spirit of hospitality. What's been your biggest failure and how have you overcome it? Well, I have many, many individual failures and I have... Because failure is part of the I restaurant know. business, right? And I, have, I mean, it, 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 wouldn't you say? Like, yeah. they go hand in hand. We fail every single night. We fail to get the right food to the right person at the right table, at the right temperature, at the right time. <laughs> we fail by accidentally spilling a drop of wine on your table. You know, when we're pouring it out, we fail by not having the temperature exactly the way you like it or having the music too soft or too loud. So those are, those are micro failures that happen every single meal. We fail by returning the wrong coat to you during <laughs> coat check season. That's a big one. Well, it's a big one, especially if someone walked out with your coat. Yes. And your coat was a lot nicer than the one we just gave you. Those, those kind of failures. That's a big one. We have failed uh, sometimes by not firing someone on the team soon enough whose performance actually brings the rest of the team down. Sure. And I would say that if I look at my career, you take any one of my strengths too far and it becomes a weakness. And mm. one of my greatest strengths is that I'm loyal and I'm patient and I believe in the goodness of people and I believe that we can take a C player and turn them into a B minus player and then a B player and a B plus player and hopefully ultimately an A player. We've done that. You really believe in development. I love development, but take that too far and sometimes we've stuck with the wrong people for too long. And what I've learned is that when someone's not working, it's like a jigsaw piece that doesn't quite fit in this jigsaw puzzle. Right. Doesn't make it a bad piece. No. It's just not, not the right piece. Not here. And what we've learned over time is that just like when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle and you're getting close and you go, that's it. That's it. And then you go, wait, it's not exactly right, is it? And you keep messing around with it and ultimately you fray the piece, yep. you fray the puzzle. It's got to go. Not, it's not good for it's either. It's got to go. <laughs> and the rest of the puzzle gets mad. Yeah. Because you're messing with it. Yeah. So I've got to get better at that. I still have to get better at that. 
when you, when you, we talked to, we talk about hospitality, we talk about great food. When you look back on 35 years of Union Square Cafe and, and good years and not so good years and challenges, what has surprised you the most about being in the hospitality business? Because it sounds like what you set out to do from that first day, which is create a restaurant you love, you did. And it's, the, it's been consistent and it's been popular and it, people have been loyal. And it's lasted. And it's lasted, which is so hard. But what has really surprised you about all this? I think what surprised me is I, I don't think I got into this business ever expecting that there would be more than one restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it actually took almost a decade to open my second restaurant, Gramercy Tavern. Mm. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are opening a second and third restaurant within the first year of opening their first. Right. And then there was Tabla, and there was Blue Smoke, and, they went, and then all the of modern. the Shake Shacks. Oh I my mean, gosh, really Shake exploded. Shack. <laughs> yeah, it's mm. all, my entire career has surprised me. But probably mm. that's all within a, a larger context, which is the degree to which dining out truly became an American sport. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that way when I grew up. It, it wasn't considered to be a nice, valid, entrepreneurial career choice. Mm. It just wasn't. You were really going a different way. I was. You, I was supposed you, to be yeah. a lawyer or something like right. that, journalist if I could have gotten really lucky. Yeah. Um, I was always interested in news, and in politics, and I thought that I would go in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so my entire career is a big surprise to me. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by restaurants that do solo dining really well, because I think it's an art. So I, I wanted to ask you, because I really believe that Union Square Cafe, for someone who's by themselves for a night out in New York City, is really a great option. To, and, and it's a specific restaurant that can really cater to a solo diner. What is it that's different when, you, when just one person walks in the door? Well, they're paying you the ultimate compliment. And, you know, when I would travel um, in my early 20s, I was in sales. I worked for my dad as a tour guide in Europe. Mm. I was more often than not a solo diner. Mm -hmm. And I know how it feels. I know how it feels to walk into a restaurant and they look down their nose because you represent half of, of the guest check. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I know what it feels like to call a restaurant and say, I need a reservation for one. Mm -hmm. And they say, we're booked. Yeah. And you know they're not booked. Right. They're just holding out for a table for two. Right. And so one of the things I was determined to do when creating Union Square Cafe was to actually be a favorite restaurant for solo diners. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's any, not only is there no shame in being a solo diner, but you're actually paying us the highest compliment of anybody. You're not coming in just because you're trying to close a deal. Right. You're not coming in just because someone you're invited a you out for dinner. Yes. You're saying, I want to take care of myself, and you're the place I want to do that. And so as far as I'm concerned, we need to promote our solo diners. We need to make it really comfortable. So from the very, very get-go, Union Square Cafe was one of the very first restaurants in New York whose bar was designed to be a dining bar. And we did it in one simple way. We didn't have the classic drink rail lip mm -hmm. on the edge of the bar that people are, you know, are used to putting their, their elbow on. 
we set it up oh, for dinner. Oh, interesting. So and you so did it so intentionally the to very, have a The very meal. first week we opened, we set up the bar with forks and knives and napkins, making it clear mm -hmm. that you can dine here. We want you to dine here. We didn't say you have to be solo, but clearly it was a very comfortable place for solo diners. We actually got in trouble because I had a group of guys come in on night three saying, you've just offended us. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> Where's the booze behind the bar? <laughs> You're making it very clear that you don't want to welcome drinkers. Oh, interesting. And I said, no, no, we want to welcome drinkers. I just want to make it clear that we want to welcome diners. diners. And we put some booze behind the bar. Mm -hmm. We continued to set up the table with the wine glass and the fork and knife. And it's been great. And we've done that at every single one of our restaurants since that point. I find that when you walk in as a solo diner, you're right, there is a little bit of a taboo that some people feel about dining by yourself. There's not so much in New York, but in other parts of the country, in the middle of America, people, you don't see as many solo diners. And I think you notice the hospitality, because you're all by yourself, way more than if you're with someone and you're engaged in conversation. You notice the ambiance more. You notice the setting, the feel, everything that you say. You notice everything, the yeah. sounds, the right. clanging. The, yes. You can actually, it's a great way to watch the staff. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll tell you one thing. You know, people used to say, I can learn everything I need to know about a restaurant based on the bread mm. or everything about the kitchen based on how they roast a chicken. Right. Those are true because it shows if you care about the most basic things, you probably care about everything. But I can tell you everything I need to know about a restaurant by watching their staff. And if I see that every time the staff members are having, it's, restaurants are a contact sport, Yes. right? <laughs> yes. The barista makes the cappuccino, hands it to the server at the point of contact, right? I want to see what's happening. Is yep. the energy going like that? Right. Like, like does the... Does the server appreciate the care that went into making that yes. coffee and say thank you before they then take it to the guest? Right. If at that moment of contact, I see the, the human energy going upward, I know I'm in for a treat. If I see mm. people having fun and focus on excellence, I don't need to worry about our guests mm. whatsoever. Yeah. And you notice it, it whether it takes five minutes to come over to you or one minute, even more when you're by yourself. Because you're sitting there, right? So but it's just those watch little how things. the staff members are treating each other. Mm. If they're loving their work and they're focused on doing it well, it's going to go great. Look, you can actually you can see this happening as people are setting up the restaurant right now. Watch what happens at the point of contact, and watch how the staff members are taking care of each other. And is that intentionally part of the training? What's part of the training is hiring people who want to make people happy, who don't pick and choose who they're going to make happy. They yeah. do it all the time. For everyone. So today, 35 years, uh, what, a, what a milestone. What's next for you? What's next for your career that has been incredible in the restaurant business? I don't know. I really don't know. You know, it's, it's, this is an interesting time. I think the city is paused right now. There's a bunch of us trying, you know, we've been serving outside in three of our restaurants for the end of the summer. To go at Gramercy Tavern? We've been serving to go at Gramercy Tavern, serving to go at Union Square Cafe. We're now serving 25% indoor capacity. Mm -hmm. If it goes well, we hope to make it 50% capacity. What is your mood? Is it hopeful? Is it trepidation? It's hopeful. It's hopeful. You know, we're all living under so many question marks these days. Mm -hmm. and.
in a typical game, let's take football, at least you know where the goalpost right. is, but it keeps getting moved. And that's, that, that's a big question mark for people. I think yeah. the political overhang that, that this country's been living under, which will be resolved hopefully at some point soon, yep. is a big question mark. But one of the big beliefs I have is if you can, if you can just like lean into your culture and lean into your purpose for being, ultimately that question mark is gonna straighten out and turn into an exclamation point. And I believe that the restaurants that can navigate their way through this thing are gonna be exclamation points. They're gonna be stronger than ever because there's nothing about this that has made human beings crave getting a good hug less than they used to. Amen. Not to mention a good bowl of pasta. Amen, and this has been fabulous. Uh, my last question would be, a lot of people have different ideas about dining and hospitality, but when they hear the name Danny Meyer, what do you want them to think? It mattered. A great restaurant experience mattered, yep. made their day. Yep. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. This. Thanks for this interview. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 